You're listening to The Shop Podcast, presented by Grey Goose Vodka. Whether it's a dinner party for 10 or a small kickback, you know the vibes will always be right if you're surrounded by your favorite people. And great company pairs best with a great cocktail. So make it a Grey Goose Martini cocktail. Impress your guests in style with an espresso martini or the always effortless classic martini with a lemon twist. No matter what you decide, everyone can appreciate the smooth, delicate taste that only a Grey Goose Vodka Martini can provide. For more info on how to craft a vodka-based cocktail, visit greygoose.com and remember to always sip responsibly. I'll never forget that we went in our jerseys to one of my parents' friends' house on the weekend. And you know, when you go in jerseys, like back then we didn't have, like I didn't know edge control, like we were 10 years old. You know, like, thank God for glow ups. Baby hairs were First of all, baby hairs are never late, and I still have not figured that out at this point. I'm trying to lay them down, and then, like, these are African 100%. <laughs> On this episode of The Shop Uninterrupted, Maverick Carter and Paul Rivera are joined by Kenya Barris. There's not enough of us. And so we're supposed to speak to everybody. And you know what I'm saying? Like one story, if we get success, they want that to be everybody's story. Chloe Bailey. The reason why I'm still like so bubbly and like, hey, because that child inside of me never really had a true, true outlet. J.R. Smith. Feeling like for me for a long time, I felt like, and still now, like I feel like I, I can still hoop, but not being able to like do it on the level that I'm, I was expecting, or I expect myself to do it on. Not being able to do it at that level, it like put me in depression. And Chineo Gwumike. And when I always tell people we fell into basketball and fell in love with it. You know, we didn't think that that was something that would transform our lives. Check it out. Before we get going, we gotta give JR, before we start, a big round of applause. And I got some, I wanna know about this. He was North Carolina A&T academic athlete, Aggie athlete of the year. By the way, but by the way, I got one big. How? <laughs> were you in high school? Were you a bad student? Or... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you? What did you? What's going on? Is there is this something? I'm happy for you, but I've been wanting to know. I'm like, I gotta see Swish. Man, you know what's going so on. honestly, when I stopped hooping, bro, and like. I was depressed. I couldn't get out of it. Really? I, like I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to do nothing else but hoop. And like feeling like for me for a long time, I felt like, and still now, I still, like I feel like I, I can still hoop, but not being able to like do it on the level that I'm, I was expected or I expect myself to do it on. Not being able to do it at that level, it like put me in a depression because from high school, I was I got drafted when I was 17. Of course. I'm 35. Like this is all I know. This is my right. More than that. Yeah. Even, even before high school you know too. Like, yeah, yeah. Even but like yeah, even yeah. before sure. high school, this is, every, this is like this is every day. This is a, this is a lifestyle. Jersey. Did you grow up golfing? No, I started playing golf when I was 24. But for me, like in school, like I grew up ADD, ADHD. Like I'm not. Did you get diagnosed with that in, as a kid? Yeah, as a kid. So for me, like, it was always something I was already shy of because, you know, kids is cruel. They pick on you, mess with you, this and Reading that. Reading in and class, fucking with you. Yeah, fucking with you. Yeah, yeah. With you. But make it so bad. On top of that, I was one of six black kids in a whole school. 
people didn't realize that. People look at me like, oh, he's from the hood, da, 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 da. Like, no, bro, I'm from the farm that, like, <laughs> the boys, like, the burbs. You grew up and then, the burbs as a kid. As a kid, all my family is from the hood. So for me, every day, like, I got, I got 12 aunts and uncles on each side. Everybody got five, on each six side? kids. Yeah, so. 24? Yeah, so it's That's like, it's like, no, nah, I got like, I got a lot of first cousins. My dad got six. My mom had two siblings. I got a, like 25 percent. Oh, it's too many. Yeah, Shit. It's, it's, it's actually too many. Yeah, you, it is. Because you when you're black and make money, it's too many. <laughs> you you sure. cannot love that. <laughs> <laughs> you don't realize how much it is. It's too many. But Swish, you you mentioned, you know, being depressed once you stopped playing, and I know I've heard you say before, you felt there was a period. I don't know if you still feel like this that you were blackballed in the NBA. Did that add to it that it wasn't on your terms when you stopped playing? Yeah, for sure, because like, for me, it was like, I'm, I'm, I'm healthy, I'm capable, and I see the product that's being put out there, and I play against these people every day in workouts and pick up, and everybody knows, like, it's not even... Why do you think you got blackballed? For me, it's like, I think it's just, I'm not gonna say I completely got blackballed, because I added a lot of shit to my, to my thing, so I want to take accountability for it more than anything. Because I, I, I definitely fueled a lot of the things and got to a point to where people probably just got tired of it. You know, is that his, what he's worth and what, is it, what his talent, that, what yeah, is there's it? A, there's a classic you know what line that one of my mentors taught me, Jimmy Iovine, which is, when the shit gets bigger than the cat, get rid of the cat. Oh. When the shit gets bigger than the cat, get rid of the cat. 100%. That's what you're basically saying. It's like, you feel like when you were JR, 23-year-old JR, you had some shit, but your talent. Yeah, my and talent was way bigger than the shit. Yeah, the shit. Yeah, the shit that they were, the shit that I was doing. It was just like, I don't care. He about to go get thirty. He gonna go, and he's coming off the bench. Like, and we already paying him low. So like, let's just keep this going. And then and once it got to a point where like my name and my my what I was saying started holding weight to certain people's ears and started like really rattling feathers. It was like, okay, nah, we going. Do you regret a bunch of the shit that you did? You look back on it and go like, damn, I was young, I was crazy, I was... I do, I do, but I don't, because all of it, it's created who I am today and made me so much of a better person to be, to be able to appreciate what I have now and anything that comes my way because I lived such a fictitious lifestyle for so long and I didn't mean? realize it. Like, being, being a professional athlete at 17 and getting thrown money and all of a sudden you handsome and you getting you driving this you get cute you real here, quick you <laughs> like bro like out of like you get you you are awarded a certain lifestyle other people just aren't and i had this conversation with, with my boys all the time and it's like okay you riding dirty like okay there's a difference between you riding dirty and me riding dirty so if you... i get pulled over they're gonna be like oh jr yeah. man come on you get caught riding dirty bro you, i'm never gonna see you again i was watching eddie house this morning eddie house actually made a good point he was like listen ain't nobody in the nba a gangster because if you were a real gangster you don't make it to the nba because they check your background they know your family so we can all pretend this thing, but you're not gonna make it to the NBA if you got like a body on your record or something. Like you, but so there's a lot of that, it seems, the guys that wanna portray that image, right? 
No, for sure. It's a lot of dudes who want to portray that image. But my thing was, I'm not from the hood, and I tell people from the get go, I was, I'm not from the hood. But you're not gonna try me and disrespect yeah. me. Now that's yeah. different. When you try me and disrespect me or something like that, now I'm gotta get with you. But all of that riffraff, I'm, I'm cool on that. Yeah. Do you think it's the people that you were around, or people people be around, or do you think it was no. just you? That's a good, that's a good question. I think for me, it's it's really bad for a 17 year old to go into a, a organization with with really bad morals and and who really don't like younger players mm -hmm. and just who who aren't into grooming them. Like if you're 17, you go to a bad team. I want 18 games my rookie year. Mm -hmm. You're not really learning how to be a professional. Yeah. You're not really learning what what matters. You're really like you you learning from uh, most of the time older vets, bitter dudes who made their bread, yeah. like who in the streets. Like you're not really learning how to be a respectable man, and opposed to just another athlete. And that's why that's why I related to like a person like Ja. At the end of the day, bro, you're gonna stop playing ball. Yeah, we all going. It happens. I thought of it too. I was 18, 19. <laughs> I ain't crazy as hell. Oh, hey, I'm going to be windmilling forever, bro. You're going to stop playing. <laughs> the game, the ball stops. It's inevitable. Father time is inevitable. And at the end of the day, more than, what's more important than how much money you made, how many championships you won, to me, if, you were, if somebody can sit there and say, you are a respectable man, then that's, the, that's all I need to hear. How does that work for you, Chloe? Because you obviously started very young. Who's, I did. Who has taught you, obviously, very professional? Who taught you etiquette, how to dress, how to be, how to be a pro. what he's describing? Yeah. How, what's been your process for that? Wow. So it's crazy, like, going down memory lane and everything, especially, like, going back home to Atlanta last year. Ever since I was, like, four, five, I was in the business and it was really all that I knew. And then I look back and I ask myself and I'm like, do I feel like I really had a childhood? Ooh. And I feel like that the reason why I'm still like so bubbly and like, hee, because that child inside of me never really had a true, true outlet. So from jump, since I was a little girl, I was working. And the, the blessing in that is that my work was something that I actually did enjoy to do. And it was like, okay, the love of it outweighs the stresses. And, and even now, we all go through shit and we all have problems, but it's like when your love of something outweighs that, you'll do anything to keep it going. So that's truly been my heartbeat through it all. And I was lucky that God blessed me with a sister that I got to go through it with. And it's funny because we were like seven and five in our church dresses at the clubs in Atlanta singing. Wow. I remember being outside the W Hotel going up to Polo de Don like, hi, can we sing for you? Really? Yes, and, and it's so crazy to see how I've been working for so long and there's still so much more that I want to do and, and a lot more that I want to accomplish. So it's crazy that I have been working for technically all my life. So who got you to work in your parents, right? And were there yes. days as kids when you guys didn't want to and they pushed of course, you to do it? Of course, but I will, what I will say about them is that I have to give credit to them for my work ethic. One thing I, I can openly say with confidence is that out of all my peers, I, I feel like I work the hardest, but I was explaining it to you earlier, I was, I was realizing I was using it almost as my vice work as a distraction because you know we all kind of go through things and even though we're working and and you know front facing we seem okay like you were talking about there's things internally that we have to work on so i was using music yes as therapy but also like constantly wanting to fill my schedule constantly wanting to work as like the escape from the holes inside that was making me doubt my self-worth 
and mm -hmm. lacking confidence. And I feel like, especially all of us, I feel like we can say, people look at us and we think, they think we're confident, they think we have it all, they think because we have money in the bank that we're truly happy, but that's bullshit. You know, so now what I'm really proud to say, I was like talking to God and I was like, okay, this year I'm gonna find the healthy balance between working and having fun. Yeah. Chloe, has there mm -hmm. ever been a time like, you know, we talk about siblings, I know you have a sibling playing, you have a sibling, obviously sibling, that your sister was working or maybe got a big opportunity and you did it and you were yeah. maybe doubtful? Yeah, so yeah. I'm, ever since we were young, we were always together. Like even when we got homeschooled, I was, I only got to seventh grade first semester until we were homeschooled and we were all that we had in the house. And the very first time we really did anything separate was when sis got uh, Ariel and Little Mermaid. Major. And she went out to London and I was in Los Angeles and it was like right around pandemic time. So it made traveling really hard and difficult. So it was like, I remember when she went back out there, like we cried by the car for like a good 30 minutes. I know the driver was getting annoyed with us, but we both kind of went through this journey of feeling like we had separation anxiety. Separation, yeah. But I never have any regrets, even though in the moment it feels like shit's feeling too heavy and too hard. That was what sparked me because I had all this free time. I was just shooting this season. I was like, okay, well, maybe this is the time for me to kind of rely on my inner voice and, and you know, start working on my own project. Cause I was just going home, I was acting, going home and going to sleep. And I was still creating and making beats in my bedroom, but a part of me felt unfulfilled because I, the thing that I would do with my sister that would fill that void, she was gone. So through that scary path and fear, it was like a shove from the universe out my comfort zone to kind of do something that I think has always been my purpose. And that's when you wrote In Pieces? Yes. Now, obviously, there's, we've seen a lot over time of siblings or groups have success like you and your sister did, and then one person decides to go solo. And a lot of them have worked. Timberlake, Beyonce, Michael, of course. And a lot don't, have not. Most, Most don't, don't work. work. Yeah. yeah. Were you, did you think about that? Have you studied that? Were you nervous about that? Like I didn't study that. Nerves, it was surrounding something else. I was like, do people want to hear my voice on my own? There was a, because I was the nerd behind the computer engineering and producing and, and doing all this stuff for Sis and I. So, you know, performing was really the place where I felt like my confidence shined. But other than that, I was like, Doo -doo -doo -doo. I felt like, Frank, like I was building Frankenstein with my computer because that was my <laughs> comfort zone. So where the pressure and the nerves came from was like, would people still be interested if it's just me? And it was like, what do I want to say? I don't want people to listen to my music and say, oh, that's Chloe without Hallie. Uh, was yeah. that, was is that, that what the album, a lot of the album is yes, about? Yes, so the record's called In Pieces because, so originally I wanted it to be called Heart on My Sleeve. And that was one of the earlier demos that I created and it's still on the record now. And why I called it in pieces is what everyone sees on the front face, they see like you have it all together, but they don't know like deep inside you're left in pieces. So that's really what the project stemmed from. And it was like me feeling heartbroken from the world that I can't blame the world. That's me not setting the proper boundaries in place. So that's the first, that's the first meaning of in pieces. And then it's also a double entendre. And I didn't really realize until- Get your Jay-Z on. <laughs> until, <laughs> Uh, me and my creative team were figuring out how to properly represent the meaning of this body of work visually. 
And so we were all on the call and, and my godmom says, I see you in like this glass box. And so I was like, oh my gosh. And so the second meaning of in pieces, it, it, it means breaking out of any wall, any box that someone has put you in. That idea that someone thinks who Chloe Bailey is or whoever's listening to the album, it doesn't exist. And speaking of which, I feel like that transition for you, it was so beautiful, but it could have been challenging too. How do you, you know, make sense of what happened when you stepped into your own truth and maybe people were still internalizing, oh, you're, you and your sister yeah. and like maybe the young girls, not like the grown women. Mm -hmm. And did you ever doubt? Is this the right thing during the process? Oh, absolutely. Still doubting when I woke up this morning. <laughs> yeah, that will, I don't think that'll ever go away. And it's like almost a sense of imposter syndrome. Uh, but I, I think because I was finding who am I on my own, who is Chloe as an individual, it was scary. And I was like, I want to please everybody. I want everyone to like me. That's how I am in life. I hate confrontation. I, I don't really speak up for myself. Hallie would be the one speaking up for me growing uh -huh. up. Like, I'd be like, oh, okay, this is fine. <laughs> but I, I had to realize, like, I have to learn not to give two shits about what people think. Because at the end of the day, when I'm left looking in the mirror at myself, am I happy? And I am. And, and it got to a point where I had to like remove social media off my phone wow. because things people were saying, you know, whether they were close or not was starting to affect me. And, you know, as strong as we can try to sound like, oh yeah, that doesn't bother me. It doesn't matter. It does. It, it starts to weigh you down. It starts to affect you. And I began to do everything that people were accusing me of being something other than myself. Wise beyond her year. Thank like, you. Super. It's insane. It's crazy how all of these beautiful projects that I have been working on for years are now coming to light now, like with Swarm, with Donald Glover, then my album's coming out, then Praises is coming out, and then, yeah, and then, and yeah, and then five days after that, I start my headlining tour. So within these three years, I was like beating on myself, like, when is this gonna happen for me? When is this gonna happen? It's Wait, that's a, the window for you, put all this in three years? That's... Yes, so when I auditioned for Praise This, when I sent my self-tape, How was, did you know that role was for you, though, too? She loves music, she loves God, and I was like, oh, that's me. <laughs> so I sent my self-tape in, and that was two and a half years ago, right when the pandemic started. So, I, you know, I met them, they came in, How long ago is this, like how? Ballpark. Five years ago? Yeah, like okay. five, six years ago? At least. Okay. Maybe, yeah, at least six, yeah. Yara introduced me to them, and they, they came in, and I was like, are you guys twins? Like, and I was like, you're twins on this. Because <laughs> they were, were like, okay. He's like, you're twins? No, 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 you're nah, twins. They were completing each other's sentences. Mm -hmm. Everybody on the Gronish was a, sent from God. I met Luca Sabat in the elevator. This, <laughs> this motherfucker had on high, high-waisted <laughs> silk pants. And I was like, yo, you're pulling those off. <laughs> and I was like, and I saw how the girls were around him. Then we both, I was writing a shot to my mind. And I come downstairs, and he's down there smoking a cigarette. And I'm like, this was meant, we saw each other so house, we started talking, he's Haitian. And I was like, yo, you want, that's why we named the character Luca, it's him. You know what I'm saying? Oh, you just told him be you. I saw him be him, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I was like, do you want to come do this? And the same thing, like, you know, Yara introduced me to them, I was fans. They produce. The theme song, which changed, changed Gronish, they went, we had one that we really, really wanted, and Jake John, wherever he's at, like, you know what I'm saying, we just couldn't get it. Them, but like they went and overnight created something that like changed the show on their own wow. kids, you know what I'm saying? In their room, like really, and I'm like, they were like, we have more, we can give you more. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I got asked, so how was that 
when you decided to just say like, you know what, this is who I am, I'll be comfortable who I am, and like, as an artist, I'm gonna introduce myself to the world. How was that perceived? And how, what made you make that choice? To be honest, it wasn't really a choice I made. And, and when people ask me that, I'm like, oh, because most of those posts I was posting was from my Finsta like two years prior. Like there was a dance video I edited like a year ago that I posted on there. It was all these things that, you know, my close family and friends saw. I was just being myself. So when I, like Callie and I made our own socials and it was like this huge uproar, no matter how, like whatever thing I posted, it went viral. I was like, I was quite confused, if I'm being honest. I was <laughs> like, oh, okay, that's cool. That's nice because, you know, what people don't realize, whether it's good or bad discussion, they're paying your bills. So I was like, in the beginning, I was like, okay, I'm gonna <laughs> use this, you know, I'm gonna get my music out there. I'm, I'm just gonna be positive. That's when I started making production videos because I was tired of people looking at me as just this girl with a body and curves. I was like, I'm actually quite smart and I want people to see me for that. So then that's like, if you go back through the timeline, that's when I started showing like, yeah, I produce, I write all my stuff, I engineer. And that's what I love about being a woman is that we have so many layers to ourselves. Yes, we can be sexy and, you know, sexual and sensual and all of that in between. But at the same time, you can't fuck with my mind because I pay attention. So that's what I love about being a woman. That's I very. Mean, I need my girls and, to listen to that for sure. That? <laughs> I, said, I need my girls to listen to that for sure. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, sure. What about you with your sister? What's your, your working relationship? I resonate with like a thousand percent everything that you've said just because I, I joke like NECA's my lifestylist, meaning she styles my life. And it really started at a young age. It's not just two of us, there's four of us, four girls. And when I always tell people we fell into basketball and fell in love with it. You know, we didn't think that that was something that would transform our lives. Literally, you know, when you talk about embracing who you are, growing up in Houston, Texas, in the burbs, the only predominant like black woman, black young girl in my classes, I went to Catholic school, then I went to public school. And I'm glad for both, because you like that's a nice mix to get you ready for the real world. But I'll never forget, you know, growing up, just having that idea that, you know, what I was at that time. You know, I was a girl, it's funny, like, I used to be triggered sitting in a chair like this because all the kids <laughs> would be able to swing their feet, you know, in school. I used to put like books so I could swing my feet, just like <laughs> under me, just so I could be like the rest of the, you know, kids in class. And um, I was the only, you know, taller than the rest, blacker than the rest, um, smarter than the rest though, and outgoing. But oftentimes if you don't fit the mold, and that's how it felt like growing up, you know, in the 2000s, then you are looked to as less than or different. But different is actually your superpower because those things that made me different are the reason why I'm in the league. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. They're the reason why I have a voice um, as a broadcaster. I just wish I knew that earlier so I could step into my confidence. Did earlier. you always know you wanted to be a broadcaster? Absolutely not. No. You just stumbled into it. Yeah, so You're by really nature. Good. Thank you. I love to break down the game. I think it's just natural for me because all of these things with basketball is a bonus. Like growing up in a Nigerian house, household, you know, you're supposed to be doctor, lawyer, engineer, right? But instead, we had parents that were progressive. They saw value in sports. They said, hey, our girls are out here like learning teamwork, camaraderie, work ethic, all those things by playing basketball because someone told them that's what tall girls do. And so we got a lot of benefits, but there was a lot of pushback culturally. Mm -hmm amongst Nigerians at that time. And you felt that even at that age, you felt that pushback? I'll never forget that we went in our jerseys to one of my parents' friends' house on the weekend. And you know, when you go in jerseys, like back then we didn't have, like I didn't know edge control, like we were 10 years old. 
You know, like, thank God for glow ups. Baby hairs were late. Baby, first of all, baby hairs are never late, and I still have not figured that out. At this point, <laughs> I'm trying to lay them down, and then, like, these are African 100%. On <laughs> so I'm like, I, I've just given up. But yeah, you know, we come to our parents' friend's house. I probably was like 10, NECA was 11 or 12, wearing jerseys, sneakers. That's not the norm for what is traditionally expected from 10-year-old girls back then. And we see back then, it was quite recent. And I'll never forget some of my parents' friends would look and they were like, sort of like, why are they wearing this? Like, do they smell? Why aren't they in the kitchen? Why aren't they helping out in the traditional expected ways? But my parents, like, I love the fact that they did not care what they said. We're getting all A's. They needed to put four girls into something that would make them tired so that they go to sleep at the end of the night. And all of a sudden, that transformed our lives. And so when I was in school, never being the girl asked to, you know, the dance, you know, because I didn't fit the mold of the Texas little girl, uh -huh. right? But, you know, eventually we started achieving at a high level through hoops. And so, yeah, it's been, a, it's been like a, a shift. I know what it's like to feel like you go from zero to 100 because on air, you know, I started really getting my um, opportunities through SportsCenter mm -hmm. in like 2018. Mm -hmm. But SportsCenter, you're like sitting at a desk like this, right? And then we have the pandemic where we're doing everything yep. in a box. Yep. And so all of a sudden I stand up and I'm walking and I'm wearing the clothes that I want to wear yeah. so I can represent who I feel I am. And everyone's like, hold up, she got body? Like, so can I ask you something? In such, a, <laughs> in, in, in such a male dominated field, how did you get the respect you deserved? And do you feel respected? I absolutely feel respected as a broadcaster. And I think that's because I have realized that people see you and judge you before they hear you and know you. And knowing that as a black woman speaking on the NBA game that I will never play because I'm a WNBA player, I was like, all right, if they already are coming to me and like saying, why are you talking on the NBA? Well, let me give you what you need to know. And so I usually go with facts, with figures. I'm the one that actually watches the whole games. You know, a lot of times Hall of Famers can sit down and just give you their opinions because they have earned that seat based off of their resume. But me, I have to earn my stripes. And so years of just, you know, putting out there the information, the breakdown, watching the game, people are like, she knows her stuff more than the guys. Yeah, of course. By nature of the expectation of perfection for women that put themselves out there. One of the main goals for each episode of The Shop is to share and learn from the unique experiences of all our guests as we curate conversations with those who are shaping culture. What I've learned is that through the journey, you know, all the hard work, the hustle and the consistency, it's always important to celebrate your wins. So do it in style and raise a glass to toast the unforgettable moments that continue to make us who we are. Toast to your wins with a Grey Goose Martini cocktail. Check out greygoose.com for smooth tasting recipes and remember, sip responsibly. The Shop Podcast is presented by Grey Goose Vodka. How far do you want to go with it? Do you want to go like, is it just stay in sports? Do you want to be the next Robin Roberts? Do you want to be? I would love all of that, but um, you know what's funny? As I've grown older, at first, like I think we get caught on like, I want to be an all-star, I want to be an MVP, I want to be a champion. But as I've gotten to this point where I start to feel every day the impact of what I do, like I'll walk down the street and like, Chanae, you give Stephen A. hell, like keep doing it, you know what I mean? And like, or like, Shanae, I'm coming to the Sparks because I saw you on TV and I'm gonna watch you play. Like those types of things have shifted the goalposts for my goals. And I feel like sometimes those labels that we get as athletes because they're like literally bonuses in a contract. For sure. They the limit our mindset. And so my number one thing, everything that I do is about impact. And are you, are you taking that balance as you obviously you do a lot of like, oh shit, maybe I could, I thought I was gonna play X number of years. Maybe I'll play less 
to focus on broadcasting now? Are you recalibrating how long you want to play? I will wanna... tell you this. I don't know how long I want to play, but the moment I win a championship with my sister, I'm gone. You're out. Peace. I'm gone. <laughs> and you want to focus on other things. Well, I don't know. It's weird. Like, it feels, this is the part that stinks because I work all year to be ready for the WNBA season. And then the WNBA season happens and it's great. But then once it's over, I'm into another season. Similar to other women's basketball players who play year round, but my job is now on TV. And it, it's tough because I, always, I, want, I give my all to everything that I do, but because of the season overlap, sometimes I have to miss work in the playoffs so that I can be there in training camp. You know, so it's like you never feel like you're getting everything that you need. But one thing I've realized is basketball is the one that, thing that grounds me. And so, like, when I think about my sister and I, we won in high school, we won in AU. And the only thing left for me is winning a championship with her. Well, there's one more thing. I read somewhere you guys are trying to play for the Nigerian national team. That's true. Yeah. And also, Nigeria has a new president. Yes. You guys, and how much do you pay attention to what's going on in Nigeria? And, you know, obviously, there's been an economic crisis. And are you guys feeling this is the one president that can get turn things around. Yeah, narrative with Nigeria is always so unique to me because people tend to talk about Africa as a whole, the continent, through crisis, through, you know, if it bleeds, it leads, those types of things. But at one point, Nigeria had, I believe, the fourth fastest growing economy in the world. Nigeria is the most populous country in Africa, and 70% of its population is under 30 years old. Why? Crazy. Why is that? Um, healthcare probably got, yeah, health, probably healthcare is right. Yeah, Fair. and just like, but also like you think about health and through the crisis lens, you also have some of the greatest longevity for those who live older because they're eating all natural, right? But there are crises too that people hear about. I'm Nigerian, I'm Igbo, so Biafra is definitely embedded. Biafra was a movement in which um, the Igbo sort of tried to exert their independence, but it didn't work out well. So like my dad grew up in Nigeria in the Southeast and was like his father and himself and his whole generation are survivors of a war as well. And like being born in Houston, Texas, you are I, like, I'm dealing with a lot of the intricacies of the diaspora. Of course. But with the elections, it's been heartbreaking because when we talk about that huge youth population, they really created some powerful movements the same way the youth here did with Black Lives Matter and all the work that totally. everyone did. There was an NSARS movement that really tried to liberate Nigerians as a whole through the youth. And so even though this election, let me just say, mm, mm, I am, I am very optimistic yeah. about the activism that we're seeing globally from yeah, black was... people. Geopolitics is one of my favorite topics, but like I have lots of friends like Europeans from France or England, and we talk about things you know going on around the world, and it's always like they'll talk about a bit where you talk about the wars in Africa or the the way talk South America food. figured talk out. Talk about the Africa. And then my explosion. point is always like, yeah, but you fucking Europeans, you went around slaughtering people for hundreds of years, Thousands. and now you want to point fingers and go, oh. There's a warlord in pick a country in Africa or South America that's, that's suffering from the colonialism created. But I always tell people it's very simple. Middle East and Africa, we lived in tribes, not states. The Europeans came in and made states and then went back to London and Paris and made decisions on how we lived in Africa yep. from a th 2,000 miles away, like screwed the whole thing up. So it's very, oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's like, and it's, we're, people don't realize we're still reaping those issues today. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that what I love is a lot of times when you think about this international like diaspora where my parents' generation, they felt like to get opportunity, they had to leave Nigeria. 
well, it's cool. I feel like the shift is happening now where one, actually it's two things. One, we're actually like still holding down our academics so that we make our parents happy, but we're also <laughs> doing great Wait, things. so you're the one helping switch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I'm gonna tell you right now. We keep them happy, you know, to say like, hey, we have our degrees, but we're also stepping into different arenas. It's not just myself as an Ogumake, it's an Antetokounmpo, it's an Embiid, it's a Siakam, it's an Olajuwon, like they're generations. And then you've got Yvonne Orji, you've got Burnaboy, you've got mm -hmm. Wizkid. There's so many different people in different areas. So I say this to say that like, it's changing because the diaspora is more connected than it's ever been before. So, so we, we've been talking people, we've been talking race, culture, people. I want to talk you people for a second. Some backlash, I think. I don't know if you felt backlash. I want I to talk about get that. backlash. Why do you think that is? I get a lot of it. And I think a lot of it is because they want, I think they, meaning mainstream America, you know what I'm saying? White America, you people. You know what I'm saying? Hey, you people. Really people. They feel like we're monolithic. You know what I'm saying? One of the things like, you know, it's hard for me to say, you know, I think, you know, there's so many different versions of us, you know what I'm saying? And when, totally. we, when we have to say, there's not enough of us telling stories, so when we gotta have one person telling a story that's supposed to represent all of us, there's not enough of us. And so we're supposed to speak to everybody. And you know what I'm saying, like one story, if we get success, they want that to be everybody's story. I fell in with you people in a, in a crazy way, you know what I'm saying? I felt it in, it's on its way, it's, it's broken a lot of records, you know what I'm saying? We were 90, number one in 95 countries. I don't How know hard it, was it to get that sold? Like the concept? I'm gonna tell, I'm gonna tell a story, super don't get mad at me. I'm gonna show you something. That really, so we did that, we went to Netflix with that movie. Love the script, came out. They were like, I don't get it. They were like, you know, it's, this is a walk and talk. That's, and, and you know, in TV terms, that's kind of like, a, in movie terms, that's kind of a diss. They called it a walk and talk. They offered us a certain amount of money that was like, we can't make this. They were like, you can have it back. We took it, we took it out. Immediately, the way you do reads, you do a weekend read. People have to read it and they've got, we got five of the biggest offers from all the major studios. It came back, Stuber and Ted being the executives they are, they were like, come back to us. And they gave us a lot more money to do it there and I couldn't have done it anywhere else. But it was, the idea of it, it was not seen because it wasn't what, what they're used to seeing us as. Mm -hmm. It's never gonna be that until you do it. People didn't see it until they saw it. You know what I'm saying? And then once they see it, they're like, oh yeah, that's what it is. You know what I'm saying? Kenya, where's that confidence come from? Like, cause it's easy to be like, well, maybe I'm wrong on this. Maybe this isn't it. Like, yeah. where's that confidence of being like, no, I know this is it. I don't never, I never know that it's it. Cause I think that that's what kills you. I, I, I was lucky I did, I created a top model. You know what I'm saying? It gave me the power of no and not having to do something because you got a little bit of cheese where you don't have to just take what they give you changes everything. So you're making a movie about the Crips, right? Yep. Or you're gonna make that movie. Mm -hmm. And this idea, like th that whole topic, because I've been watching, I've, my favorite movie of all time, my favorite two movies are Godfather and Godfather 2. The Italian mob on TV, since I was a kid, my dad, when my dad would babysit me, when I was seven, that's how he, he put me in front of the Godfather. He'd be like, my dad was a street guy, sold drugs. Crazy story. Went to federal yeah. penitentiary. <laughs> and that's what he knew how to teach me. So he was like, oh, this is the sophisticated version of what I do. The sophisticated. The sophisticated. <laughs> so he was like, son, watch this. But the black street life has always been treated differently on film. 
Are you going to do that different through this? Like, how do you think about that? Why is that? So I went to go see The Irishman. I walked out of it, and I was like, this is the end of the Italian gangster movie. You know what I'm saying? They've had a long run. They crushed it. But like when From you, the 70s. When you think run. about what being a gangster is now, you think about black and brown. You know what I'm saying? You think about, why, I was like, why are we not making, why are we letting other people sort of like do this thing? I was like, I don't want to like glorify it, but I feel like those are the best businessmen in the neighborhood. Totally. You know what I'm saying? My dad's so dope. But I feel like the thing that I feel like that I've learned from y'all, that I learned from Jay, that I learned from is, don't just take and claim because it's black we should get the thing. We got to do it at the high level. It's level for sure. We got to make sure it looks good, it sounds good, it's cast well. And I feel like that's the thing when I got to do you people. There's never been, and I had to like research this, there's never been a, we did $100 million, there's never been a mainstream comedy directed by a, a black man, which is crazy. Oh, wow. Because they take, I mean, I love There's Tim. been a lot of successful ones, right? There's like, a successful like ones, like Tim, trip. I did Girls Trip, I did you Tim, did you know, Malcolm. But those are still considered black movies, yeah, you know course. what I'm saying? But like, there's never been, yeah. they eat our comedy up. They eat up Kevin, they yeah. eat up Eddie. They Eddie up was Dave. the original, yeah. They eat up, they've never, there's not one time been a mainstream comedy directed by us, even though they love our fucking, uh, who we are as, you know, as in our comedic sort of tribe, you know, to the America. And I'm like, why can't you take us and let us tell our stories our way? We don't get a chance, like Larry David's, Larry David, right? We don't get a chance to do satire. No, we don't yeah. get a chance to do Great things point. that feel like mm -hmm. they want to put us in a box, right? Very and true. I feel like looking at this group, you know what I'm saying? Just looking at just any group. And, and I say, I look at Mav, I look at Rich, I look at Jay. When we break out of the box, we break all the way out. Totally. You know what I'm saying? They're, Jared going and playing golf, I, I messed with him, I was like, you want to live? Like the idea, like schoolboy, you know what I'm saying, is now saying how golf changed his life. Totally. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. I feel like Dan Fogelman, who's one of my you know, best friends, did This Is Us. We have a movie we're doing about, there's going to be a version, there's going to be a moment where there's an Allen Iverson in golf. Totally. You know what I'm saying? Where is it, it you, bro? You know what I'm saying? No, I'll, 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 I'll say it's all right. JR, no, JR, hey. by the way, we. Give me oh, three years, baby. <laughs> no, we, we talked about, no, you were one of the people we, we talked about. We did a doc about. with him, by the way, called Redefined, which yeah. everybody should see. Um, follows his career. What, like, is that your, do you feel that sometimes? Like, shit, I'm breaking all the way out of the box doing this. And how far do you want to go with golf? Will you play after college? You know what? It, it, I'm listening to it. It kind of gave me goosebumps because, like, I, I had that feeling. Like, when I got into the game of golf and, like, doing the certain things and, I, when I first started school, I started growing my hair and I had locks. And then I cut my locks literally three, probably three months ago. And deals just started flooding through. Like, really? Oh Ooh, man, wow. like. And you it think was it was like, correlated completely? Yeah, 100%. Nothing else has changed. Right? Nothing else has changed about me. I was already in school. I already had the grades. I was already <laughs> like, nothing, nothing changed. Wow. Literally nothing changed. So now I cut my hair, it's like, oh yeah, you can, you can do this. Oh, you can do that. You can do that. And I'm not going to be the fool. Like, I got four <laughs> little girls. I'm going to go, I'm going to get this one. Yeah. Gonna get this one. one. <laughs> but I, I feel like they don't, the, the bigger thing is like, I look at y'all and I feel like I'm really blessed that I've been able to have a group of people around me that I can call and be like, Mav, he been in rooms that I haven't been in. How can I, I never had that before. There is a moment right now that's happening 
that we are all doing things that were not prescribed for us. Totally. Mm. And it's crazy to see how all of us have kind of come from society's version of nothing and, and making it so much out of something, especially being influential and successful black human beings. And, you know, it's so cool sitting next to you. I know because we the girls in the room, so I'm like, yes. <laughs> I know. But it, it's, it's crazy because you only hope for the best, but, and, and you hope that you get to fulfill your dreams and you hope that you get to get there, but you never really know. You're just like wishful thinking and, and hoping. And, and now like seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, it's like, it's like a little bit of a deep breath, but still as, you know, in being in this industry and being human beings, there is the self-doubt and never not knowing if it'll work or, or things like that. Art is all about perspective. And anytime someone looks at a painting in a gallery, nobody sees it the same. And that's what art is supposed to do. It's supposed to spark conversation. Nobody's supposed to like it. Not everyone's supposed to like it. Not everyone's supposed to hate it because then it, it's not doing its job. Totally. But we need that. The thing that we haven't had before mm -hmm. is we haven't had this. The idea that I can, we can call and we can make favors, you know what I'm oh, saying, yeah. let's scoot, and we've never had that before. And that's, that's terrifying to the powers that be. If we ever come together, yeah, yeah, totally. what we can do is crazy. It changes stuff, you sure. know what I'm saying? And I feel like we need more of that. We need more moments where we can sort of know how powerful we are when we come together. And I'm not talking about just from like a sense of like power. I'm talking about making bags. I'm talking about making changes. I'm talking about really doing real things. And it's hard because y'all a little bit younger, the older generation doesn't get it. Don't, you know yeah, it's unfortunate. I, but by the way, it's not their fault. It's not their fault because it was just a different time. It was like the world was there to get. That's all they, 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 they want to, yeah. I can call you and get help. Yeah. The older generation right. is like, if helping, does that's, helping Jay, that's what Jay said. Be your own therapist. You can also call and get help without any expectation of anything in return. That's what I mean. Yeah. Help you because yep. that's the right thing to here's, do. Yeah, here's the number. Name. Call him. Yeah. No problem. That's what I mean. And we'll figure it out down the road. Troy Carter, I was talking to him. I saw, my, saw him and, and, and Jay at the game, and um, Dr. Jay, Jay Irvin. And I was like, yo, Troy, where'd you get that couch? Because I can't find it. This nigga called me the next day and was like, I'm sending you the couch. And I was like, yo, you're sending me a fucking $50. I was like, you're sending me a right? People assume we're twins, but she's a year and a half older. What, you thought we were twins? I did. When before I met y'all, <laughs> right right no, 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 before I, I met them, too. I was like, I was one. Yeah. He I was always too. like, hey, what's up? How's your twin? I was like, I mean, we graduated two years later. Hey. Thanks for listening to The Shop Uninterrupted. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you're listening to the show. For full video episodes, check out Uninterrupted's YouTube channel. And for weekly show updates, follow The Shop Uninterrupted on social media. You're listening to The Shop Podcast, presented by Grey Goose Vodka. Whether it's a dinner party for 10 or a small kickback, you know the vibes will always be right if you're surrounded by your favorite people. And great company pairs best with a great cocktail. So make it a Grey Goose Martini cocktail. Impress your guests in style with an espresso martini or the always effortless classic martini with a lemon twist. No matter what you decide, everyone can appreciate the smooth, delicate taste that only a Grey Goose Vodka Martini can provide. 
For more info on how to craft a vodka-based cocktail, visit greygoose.com and remember to always sip responsibly. Sip responsibly. www.responsibledrinking.org. 2024, Grey Goose. It's trade dress and the geese device are trademarks. Imported by Grey Goose Importing Company, Coral Gables, Florida. Vodka, 40% alcohol by volume. Distilled from French wheat.